My goal is to bring just a short word of encouragement and hope, um, something that we can just kind of carry with us throughout the week and, and encourage us and, and bring us a little bit of joy in the midst of the, the chaos of the season. Um, there's something special about Christmas Day landing on a Sunday. It forces us to pause before jumping into all of the festivities of the day. I mean, unless your kids woke up at the crack of dawn. My kids weren't up when I woke up. I kept it that way, and then I came here. But there is something about having our traditions cut short, interrupted, or maybe not even doing them so that we might be together and worship King Jesus on a Sunday morning. There's something about that. There's something about the interruption of Christmas on Sunday. And maybe some of you are frustrated by it. Maybe some of the kids are frustrated by it. But Christmas landing on a Sunday truly is a gift. We're gifted with the opportunity to celebrate and remember the birth of Christ, as I said earlier, along with the resurrection. Because that's what Sunday is. It's the time where we come together as the people of God to remember and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. That's why it's called the Lord's Day, because it was on the first day of the week that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. And so on this particular day, we get to celebrate both the coming of our Lord, his birth, and the resurrection of our Lord. And that's just, that's just kind of cool. That's just one of those things that doesn't happen all the time. And, and in the resurrection we get an even stronger taste of new creation. We talked a little bit about new creation last night, if you were here with us. We talked about how the birth of Christ was the dawning of new creation, and resurrection is, is like the culmination of new creation, at least the, 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 the first breaths of the culmination of resurrection. And so I want to look at two verses this morning in the book of Revelation. So yeah, Christmas Day, we're going to look at the book of Revelation. If you would turn in your Bibles, if you have it, um, chapter 22, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 and verse 20. I actually don't have a slide for it um, because it was only two verses. So I'll read them for you so you have them in your head, and, and then I'll just be kind of referencing back to them throughout our time. But it says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And verse 20 says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so within this final chapter of the book of Revelation, in the books of the Bible, we see the posture that we as the body of Christ are to take a posture of active longing and waiting for the return of Christ. Now, to help us understand a little bit what I mean by active longing and waiting, as, as a kid, you might remember, or if there's any kids in here that might, um, this might resonate with, if, if your parents were having company over, often you would sit there waiting for that company to arrive. And, and while you were waiting for your company to arrive, your, your parents probably had you performing all sorts of tasks around the house, especially if it was company that you didn't see all that often. So you were told maybe to, to, to help set the table. You were told to, to pick up your clothes that you probably left around the house, or, or maybe some of you weren't allowed to leave clothes around the house, and, and if there was, it was like a bigger deal. But, but there's this sense of active waiting when we're waiting for company to arrive. And, and if you were like me... 
I grew up, and my parents had a couple of friends from Long Island, and so, and so when you were waiting for friends to come from Long Island, you, you really started to understand what it's like to wait for the coming of Jesus, because people coming from Long Island just never show up, it feels like, because of all sorts of traffic and whatever. But, but the point I'm trying to make, active longing and waiting is the sort of waiting where you're performing the tasks that need to be done with one eye on the door. You're performing the tasks that need to be done with one eye at the door. And so let's look at our text really quick. It says in verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. And so the truth of who we are is summed up right in this first part of the verse. As the bride of Christ, those of us who have given ourselves to King Jesus, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we see and hear the world as it truly is. And as a result, we are no longer captivated by it, but rather we are captivated by the world that is to come. We are captivated by the world that is to come. But what does it mean to be captivated by the world that is to come? Well, it means that our posture is what I just described. We are actively waiting and longing for the return of Christ. And so a couple observations on this particular text. There are two voices that we hear. The spirit and the bride. And the bride is comprised of those who hear. In other words, the bride or the church is the chosen vehicle by which the Spirit makes his way throughout this world. And, and, and if you were here last night or if you're here any week, you're going to hear some repetitive sort of ideas because I tend to have like one or two sermons that I just keep on preaching to all of you. And, and so far you haven't figured me out, but it's okay. That's okay. The church is the chosen vehicle by which the Spirit makes his way throughout the world. And both of these voices are crying out. The bride and the Spirit are crying out, come, come. Now, this is really interesting. I'm, I'm going I'm to flip to Romans chapter 8. You don't have to turn there with me. But I just want to read something to you that can kind of give us this idea of, of the Spirit of God and the church sort of participating with one another in, in how we speak. It says in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16, it says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words... We cry out to God as Father because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like this guitar that I was playing this morning. It doesn't do nothing unless I start playing it, right? And the keyboard that, that Tara sometimes plays, it doesn't do anything unless she's playing it. And so there is a sense where we, as the body of Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we do nothing unless the Spirit of God is, is plucking away at the strings. And so when we think of this, this, this idea that we read in, in chapter 22, where the Spirit and the bride say, come, we are calling out, come, because the Holy Spirit is, is kind of impressing it upon ourselves to say those very things. 
We also see this show up uh, later on in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so even in our darkest times, where we feel that distance from God, those of us indwelt by the Spirit are still being played like that guitar, and, and he speaks on our behalf. He prays on our behalf when we have nothing left to say. Now, if there's some of you in here who have no idea what I'm talking about because you have yet to put your faith and trust in Christ, my encouragement and my challenge to you is is to listen with an attentive ear this morning, to allow yourself to be challenged by the words that we're going to read through in the text this morning, and and to, to, to listen to those words of the Spirit that are calling you to come. The next thing I notice in this chapter, in this verse, Revelation 22, verse 17, is that this voice is calling out, come, but but who is on the receiving end of this call? Well, I think there's two options, and and actually I think there's two answers, not just options, but, but two answers to this question, because I think the text is being intentionally ambiguous. It could be a calling to Christ for him to come or to return, which we see in verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, as though he's answering this call. But it could also be this calling to the thirsty and the hungry to come, because it says, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life with out price. See, the thing it is, the thing it is about, about us as followers of Jesus, those who have been indwelt by the Spirit, is that we see and hear, or we ought to see and hear, the plight of the thirsty, of the hungry, of those who are lost or without hope. And with one eye on the horizon, awaiting the arrival of our King, we are called to have one eye on the world, and we say, come, all who are weary and heavy laden. And if we're taking our marching orders from Christ, then we need to model the mission after him. Who didn't just proclaim good news, but he became good news. See, he didn't just proclaim good news, he became good news by becoming that perfect sacrifice. And so the question we need to wrestle with as we're calling for Jesus to come, Right? Christians have this way of, of looking at the world and, and just you know, kind of saying, wow, this world is the worst and I don't want to be here and come, Lord Jesus, come. And, and, and man, like, if only the world were this, that, or the other way, then maybe like what? Like, we have this way of just kind of just like, kind of just being like, like, oh, the world, the world, the world. I mean, maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've said this. And there is a weariness that we all endure. And we should be longing for the arrival of our Savior. However, as we await and long for the arrival of our Savior, there's work to do. There's there's chores that need to be done, right? In the same way as when we were kids waiting for that company to arrive, whether they were coming from down the block or coming all the way from Long Island, you needed to get some stuff done. And so when we read this passage, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears says, come and let the one who is thirsty, those of us who have been privileged to be filled with the spirit of God, to entrust ourselves to Christ, need to be actively waiting by caring for the needs of the thirsty, the hungry, the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed. 
those who are physically experiencing those things and those who are spiritually um, experiencing those things. And we need to be the means of hope in this world. Right, Advent, the season of Advent, is all about the coming of our Lord. It's a time where we look back, but as I've said throughout the last month, it's a time where we look forward. We're looking back and we're looking forward. And in the meantime, as we have our eyes both back and forward, we are actively serving the needs of the people around us, loving God, loving neighbor, sacrificially giving of ourselves so that the world might catch a glimpse of what Jesus is like, of what God is like. And if that's not what we're about, if that's not how we're postured, then then we should probably be pretty fearful about the coming of our Lord Jesus. See, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the thing, right? If we're not actively waiting and we're just kind of passively sitting there with our feet up saying, well, I, I, you know, I said a prayer once and, and I believe and I'm good to go, well, the Bible has some things to say about that. And so we do need to be aware that this walk that we have decided to participate in, it's an active walk. It's an actual walk. It's not a seat right? We don't, we don't give our lives to Jesus and then kick back on the couch. Sadly, many have taught and believed that this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that I have just believed something in my head and therefore I am a follower of Jesus. But a follower of Jesus follows. If you're following someone, you don't sit back You're actually following them. So it it is confusing why we've decided to interpret, you know, coming to faith or being born again or being a Christian as this passive activity. I know there's fear, right? Like, well, no, I'm, I'm not saved by works. No, of course not. We're not. We're saved by the work of Christ. However, the work of Christ has enabled us to perform the works of the Spirit so that the world might catch a glimpse of who God is. And so as followers of Jesus... We need to be about the active longing and waiting for Christ. That's the call. That's that's Christmas. That's Merry Christmas. That's Merry Christmas to us. And so when we celebrate Christmas or the arrival of Christ, we are also reminding ourselves of both his second coming and the calling we have as his followers to be about the work while we wait. We don't just proclaim good news. We are good news. We don't just proclaim good news. We are good news. That's so important. That's so important for us to wrap our minds around. And so so what does our king say when he hears our cries? Well, in verse 20, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. There is no doubt Jesus will return. If we believe the words of this book, if we believe the testimony of the Spirit, then there is no doubt that Jesus will return. And on that day, it will no longer be the dawning of new creation. It will no longer be the first breath of new creation. But rather, new creation will cover the entire earth. 
and the Lord's prayer will finally be answered, that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven and earth, as we sang a few minutes earlier, become one. Become one. That's the good news of Christmas, that when Jesus came into the world, he started something. And when he comes back into the world, he's finishing that thing that he started some 2,000 years ago. And new creation will cover all of the earth. That's good news, Redeemer Fellowship. In the meantime, are we allowing ourselves to be used as the means by which pockets of new creation invade the here and now, in both word and deed, showing the world what God is like? Are we postured for that? Are we ready for that? I don't know if you've noticed, I've been talking a little bit more about this I've been turning up the volume on this particular subject, this, this subject of mission, of evangelism, of, of, of looking outward. It's because as we enter into this new year, as we start to wrestle with who we are as a church, this is one of the areas where, where we as a, as a pastoral team are, are really trying to figure out what that's supposed to look like. Right? We've, we've had our time to recoup from COVID. I think we've done a, a really good job at that. We've had our time to come together as, as a unified body of Christ. And now it's time to start doing the work, that outward-facing mission. Like I've said the last few weeks, I'm not sure what that's going to look like, to be perfectly transparent. I'm still wrestling with God to figure that out. But that is what God is calling us to. It has to be because it's all over the pages of Scripture. It's all over the pages of Scripture. And I do believe that this place, this people, that were ready for that calling. I just, I believe that to be true because I've seen the growth of our church. And I'm not talking about numerically. We have grown numerically. It's been really encouraging to see people coming to our church. But I'm talking about the level of maturity of the people of this body of believers has just raised over the last two, three years. It just has. Myself included. I'm a different man today than I was October 2020. I just am. I don't know if you remember me in October 20. For those of you who are visiting this morning, like you're probably like, what is this guy talking about? October of 2020, I was, I was like this all the time. Because I was like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Now, now I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Right? <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. Um, I don't even know where I'm at. Um, <laughs> Mary knew this to be true. I'm just going to jump in at a paragraph. Mary knew this to be true. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to read to you something, and we're going, to, we're going to end here. Luke chapter 1, Mary prays this prayer, or she sings this song, however we want to interpret it. It's called the Magnificat. It says this in, in chapter 1, verse 46 and following, my soul magnifies the Lord. This, this is... This is the Lord. This is Mary just speaking about her experience of, of, of being visited by the angel, of her visit with Elizabeth, her, her, her cousin. And she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned home. See, Mary knew that new creation would be breaking in. She got the memo. She knew that new creation would one day fill the earth. It's why the words of the Magnificat of what we just read are so earthy. It talks about rulers. It talks about kings. It talks about poverty. It talks about brokenness. When we sing the song, Mary, Did You Know?, the resounding answer is yes. She knew. She knew exactly what was to come. She believed it. And and we are called to believe the same thing. We are called to believe that real change will occur, that real change will will happen in our lives individually and, 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 and as a body, and that real change will occur if we are faithful to proclaim the good news of Jesus in both word and deed, that real change will occur in the people around us, that the Spirit of God is on the move through the people of God. And that new creation is breaking in and that what new creation looks like is is the raising up of the humble, the feeding of the poor, the caring for the oppressed, and the proclamation of the kingdom. That's good news. And so as we wait, let us take the words of Mary seriously. Let us humble ourselves. Let us be the hands who fill the hungry with good things and let us demonstrate sacrificial love, humility, and service to a world bent on pursuing power and might. And let's do it all in the name of the crucified and resurrected king so that others might hear the good news, see the good news, and respond to the good news and join the party. That's what we celebrate. That's good news, Redeemer Fellowship. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for Christmas Day being on a Sunday. I thank you for the the beauty of both the incarnation and the resurrection. And I thank you that you are seated on the throne now, ascended in the heavenly places, seated ruling over creation, and doing so through us by your Holy Spirit, by grace. Father, I pray that we would be a people posture to do that very thing, Lord God, to be the means by which new creation spreads like wildfire into the world around us, Lord God, that we would proclaim the good news of the kingdom in both word and deed, and that people would catch a glimpse of what you are like, Father. That's my heart. That's my hope for our people. That's my hope for this church. Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.